0: Hello, hello, hello. Hi, community. Um, hi, Drew. Hi, Margaret. My name is Anna. Welcome to yet another installment of the AMA. Um, it's been a busy few months here at DBT Labs and in the DBT community. And uh, I'm so glad to be here with both Drew and Margaret, uh, who have graciously agreed to spend an hour chatting with us today. Um, so for, for folks who... Um, Our new uh, Drew Bannon is, of course, our esteemed co-founder and uh, early um, community, uh, actually early all things, um, dbt developer and early community extraordinaire, um, and he's now the staff product manager on the dbt community. Uh, on the dbt labs team and margaret francis has just joined recently as our new chief product officer and margaret is very cool in a variety of different ways but um, some really cool things about margaret that if you spy on her linkedin you'll be able to see are um she came to us with uh seven years of background working at heroku which is a really cool community-oriented platform and um she's also done um several other related things in the past um in um, various product roles that are um, adjacent to some of the things that uh, we all know and love here. So um, I'd love for you all to welcome uh, Margaret uh, in the uh, events-ama channel with all of the memes and all of the emojis um, and start teeing up your questions. Uh, But um, as you're thinking about what you wanna know, I am going to uh, seed us with a few. Starter questions. Are you all ready?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Cool. All right. So, reminder: the chat is in events AMA, um, and also I want to introduce um, Amada, who is our chat champion, and who is going to be um, making sure that we have all of your questions um, in front of us and ready to go. So, I am going to hide the slide deck because it's really big on all of your screens, mm-hmm. and. Um, there we go, cool. So my first question is for Margaret, Margaret, One second. So I already mentioned this, when I first heard you were coming on board, I was really, really excited because I knew you had spent time at Heroku and like seven years at Heroku. And I know, I know that Heroku has very strong roots in the Ruby community. And that's um, a community that I used to be um, a big part of. How, if at all, has that shaped how you approach product development?
2: Um, it has it has shaped everything about
0: um (laughs) how I think about product
2: development. Um I think a couple of uh the key things that I learned coming from the Ruby community are when when I actually got to Heroku, we were just in the process of going from being sort of Ruby dominant to very polyglot, and how we supported lots of different application developers working in in different languages and different frameworks. And figuring out how to do that and to do that well was, it took it took years and it was very satisfying work to make Heroku a cool place where a Java developer, a Go developer or Python or a Perl developer could flourish um, despite their very diverse needs. Um, I would say another way that Ruby really influenced me was in my appreciation for Postgres. Which is truly one of the most amazing, like open source software projects, and uh, we and a great analytic tool um, as well as a great you know kind of relational database for for application centric reasons. So figuring out how to work with the Postgres community and inside the the Postgres community to ship the things that we needed to run database services at scale and run a, a terrific Postgres uh, you know project at Heroku was was a you know years years of of, of a labor of real love. So it should be
0: for me, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Is there a specific story or a specific person that stood out to you from that time as like exemplary of this approach? Oh, um, there were tons. Um, But when I think about the
2: engineers like Camille Baldock and um, Tom Crayford, um, who really helped to run that database service at scale, and the application developers who helped us. I mean, when you boot a Ruby project, you didn't. First thing it ask for is a database. Mm -hmm. So the best experience that you can provide is, and now here's your database. And now you have data and compute together. Mm -hmm. Um, That was so powerful. And in the hands of really great engineering leaders like um, Harold Jimenez, who is now over at HashiCorp, you know, or product leaders like John Byram, who's over at Stripe. This enabled now. Um, it enabled us to really build a great application development platform um, over time that was used and beloved by by many. Awesome. So, why DBT then, and why DBT Labs? I was looking for a product that was as beloved as Heroku. So you know, I see Will Will in there. I see Callum in there. All these really interesting people who are very passionate about using DBT whether you know, core whether cloud is not so important to me as that it does a uniquely powerful new thing that is hugely useful to users. Cause now I live in this world where there's like a million great things to ship and really great people to do it with and plenty of budget for more. And that is like, that's a happy place for me professionally. That's
0: pretty fun. <laughs> cool. Um, it's true, you
2: inviting me. <laughs> you know?
0: Uh, Drew, I'm going to turn over to you in just a second, um, but I want to give folks the chance to get to know Margaret just a little bit more. So uh, oh, before we do that, here. I see Matthew Heffern. I don't
2: know if I said your last
0: name right, but there's some pretty great questions in that chat. So it'll be, it'll be fun <laughs> to do. those too. All right. Before we get into that, um, what's one important thing to know about you that we can't find on your LinkedIn?
2: Oh, <sighs> um Well, um, I'm, I'm a parent and I take my identity and my role there very seriously, and I love art and am a bit of a, you know, frustrated artist. I feel like getting to do art is something I get to do in product now and something I get to do in life now, and it's very important to me, whether that is, you know, Having a background in in the fine arts, or just appreciating what other people make, and for those who spent time in my physical presence, I literally walk around and I obsess over things. I'm like, you yeah, know, this is a good product,
0: this is a crappy product, and I have strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So, Drew, um, one of the motivations for this ama was um you wrote a wonderful blog post about your journey up until this point uh at the company and um in that blog post you say you're excited to return to the magical intersection of product community and engineering what does this mm. mean for you what are you most excited about in your new role
1: yeah i think it's um honestly being more present in the dbt slack is a good proxy for it um there was a time I don't know, 18, 24 plus months ago, where I was like hawkishly scanning the dbt slack. And if people had problems with dbt, I was one of the first people to know about them. If people liked new stuff we were releasing, I could funnel that back into the team. Um, But we've grown so much over the past two years. And increasingly, my role shifted to like internal coordination, communication and and planning and prioritization. And so it was very hard to find the time uh, to to be present kind of in the dbt Slack out in the community. And um, to me, that's like where all the, all the really good ideas came from. It was like people jumping in Slack saying, I have this problem and then kind of figuring out like, oh, there's a really elegant way to solve that. Um, but doing it collaboratively with with folks in the community. Um, I think that that's kind of what I'm thinking of when I say the the, the magical intersection of product community and engineering.
0: Sounds exciting! I'm sure everyone is already sharpening their memes in anticipation.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm like, I think I'm still number one on the DBT Slack message leaderboard, so
0: I gotta. But only historically. Not we yet. Gotta get back into the active, um, active users game. Right. Uh, I agree. Jo- Josh Devlin has you beat there by miles and miles. A lot, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. Coming for you, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so speaking of community questions and driving through ideas in the community. Um, There's one question that came in a couple of days ago already, Um, what do y'all think of data access management via dbt and dbt server? And this question is related to a tweet from Avi. Um, As an example, consider something a little left field data access management by routing queries through a dbt server proxy, you can now encode and manage access policies all in one place. The dbt repo where you define those artifacts in the first place, powerful.
1: Yeah, this was an awesome Twitter thread. I actually remember reading this, I think after my coalesce talk and giving a talk mm-hmm. to coalesce is kind of funny because you, you feel hype, like you just walked off stage, but like I was in this <laughs> seat, <laughs> um, and so I had to go like get the energy out outside and just scroll through Twitter. Um, I think obviously like really on the money with, with his sentiment here, um, I actually saw a couple of questions that kind of hinted the same concept around the mm-hmm. metrics layer. And to me, it really feels like, um, even a step beyond metrics, it's really more about like, like semantic knowledge of your data and how different data points relate to each other and the management of changes to sort of the logic that you apply to that data. Um, I, I think obvious on the money, I, I think that really the thing that is so exciting about the thing we're building in the dbt server and and the thing we're currently calling the metrics layer is that it creates a logical abstraction over your data warehouse. So instead of saying, you know, select star from, you know, the table called dim users, um, you instead logically refer to the users model. Um, I think anytime that you can separate sort of the physical nature of a thing from its logical representation it's like an opportunity to do really clever and um uh like meaningful meaningful things right at that intersection and so this is like we talk a lot about layers layers in the data stack but to me it's, it's really more of a semantic layer where you say i want a metric and then it's dbt's job to figure out how to calculate that or i want a user dbt can figure out how to do that for you too
0: Related oh, to that. I had
2: a paranoid corporate perspective on that. <laughs> <laughs> doing B software for a long, long time infrastructure. And if there is a way to lock something down, someone in security is gonna try and do it. And that is often antithetical to um the exploration of data and the sharing of knowledge inside of organizations even when it's wise or prudent or necessary from like a lawful perspective so that logical abstraction over the data can be used kind of f- for evil or for good for evil or for good where people define the evil and the good differently I think it's going to be important for us to be mindful of what those things are um there, there's this horrible concept in uh, I'm not saying anything like, top secret here. There's this horrible concept in um, the Salesforce CRM application backend of how like roles and permissions are enforced that basically like is inherited from locking rows and columns and cells inside the database. And it causes like massive contention when you run certain kinds of queries, um, you know, from inside the application that have always made reporting inside of Salesforce really complicated and difficult because you go to run a report and it's like, well, Anna can't see that data. Drew can't see this data. And Margaret isn't even allowed to know that column exists. And like, then nobody <laughs> knows like what is going on and what the true state of or the contents of that database are. So any logical obstruction on top of the data um, has to be sort of thought through in terms of its implications. And data access is probably one of the most far-reaching concerns of all. In general, I think we want to bias towards respect for the data itself but also respect for the operators that are trying to work with it (laughs) because we could make their lives really hard if we don't if we don't if we don't sort of design with intention
0: there yeah i think that's a really important point um, so on that note, um, will has a great question for you is dbt server going to be able to learn and predict which queries are being requested so it can prepare them ahead of time.
1: So this is one of those things that you kind of get with an abstraction, um, conceivably, like this is the point where you could analyze the queries coming in and do something really clever, like recommend, um, you know, Hey, if you, if you pre-join these two models together and materialize a table, it would make your queries a lot faster. Um, I don't know that we have anything concrete planned there. I will say that as a, as a kind of abstraction or point of integration, um, we really do want to open this feed up to other kinds of applications so that it's not like a walled garden of dbt, like. Again, no concrete plans to do this at present, but totally conceivable to imagine that we'd you know stream out the query logs in some sort of structured way and and then there could be t- like tools, whether homegrown or or commercial, or whatever, um, that that kind of help you identify opportunities for improvement for things like this
0: mm-hmm. So um, we have a really good question uh, related to this from um, Locke, who wants to know what you think other notable competitors to dbt metrics and server are? Clearly semantic layer is not a new concept. Like a lot of ink has been spilled this year, but it's also existed in other forms before. So um, what are the kinds of approaches other people have taken? Um, What are the trade-offs? What do you think we're doing differently here? I think um,
1: the, (laughs) the number one enemy continues to be Excel uh it will always be excel um not you know the funny thing is when we think about metrics i think it's totally reasonable to to capture metrics and stick them in excel and do any last mile kind of munching there but the sort of defining the business logic of what the metric is in your own workbook whether it's you know google sheets excel i think that's like the part of the iceberg beneath the water and and really the challenge to solve for, for a lot of folks out there working with data. Um, I'll also say like, right, calculating metrics is not a new concept. I've spent a lot of time trawling through uh, docs for, for legacy tooling to get a sense of like the state of the art. Um, so I don't know, to me, it really just feels like trying to create the best version of this you know, semantic or metrics layer on top of the the modern data stack. That's like the thing we're trying to do here.
0: We have a lot of questions on what metrics and the metrics layer are going to support. Um, I'm gonna pick out one of them before uh, before we go in a different direction. David um, wants to know, will there be tests on metrics, uh, semantic tests coming soon? Um, Are we gonna be able to allow users to assert known truths? Like I have 10 customers, I have three marketing channels, et cetera. Margaret, I think to your point earlier about making sure that this is easy for humans to to reason about. Yeah.
2: Well, I would love for Drew to answer that question, Uh, but I will just say that, you know, um, secretly we're downloading this whole feed and we're using ML and AI techniques on it to predict the features that everybody most wants out of the metrics layer. Um, I'm I'm completely just teasing. Um, But one of the things that excites me about DBT is bringing a lot of the principles that we use in software um, application development space into the work of 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 analysts um, and data engineers and people who work with data for a living, whatever their specific use case is. So being able to, to test into, um, you know, have, have some kind of test harness on um, your data, I think is important. Is it the thing that we ship with first? You know, most, most things take a while to become mature.
1: Yeah. I, I also wonder like, it feels a little bit divergent from what we consider tests to do in, in dbt today, at least as far as these like kind of generic tests go. Um, I can totally imagine like you shouldn't have null values for a metric value ever. Like it could be zero, but nulls not, not right. Um, you, I can also imagine like bounds. So if there's some sort of, you know, ratio saying this should be between zero and one, something like that. Um, but in terms of like, I don't know if this is what David was getting at, but like anomaly detection over uh, the metric values. Like, I don't think we have any concrete plans to do that. And I think there's a bunch of great tools out there that, that do similar things. So uh, as with a lot of parts of the system, it's a place where we'd be really excited to maybe integrate with other, other tooling.
0: So maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Um, Graham wants to know what kind of principles are going to guide your selection of features to include um, versus exclude in the DPT server. What's your mantra or philosophy for this experience? What do we build versus what do we integrate with?
1: Yeah. Um, great question. I think part of the challenge of building something like this from the ground up is there's like so many considerations, and trying to balance all of them is is um, it's a lot of work around prioritization. Um. I think first and foremost, we want this to be like a really tight integration with, with dbt. Um, I, I showed this off at coalesce, but I guess we haven't really shown too much of the demo since then. Um, in addition to being able to query metrics, you can like select star from a ref of a model, or you can call an arbitrary macro, like, you you know, date date spine or or pivot. Um, you can call these macros kind of against the, the metrics layer. Um, so the more it feels like a programming environment for dbt, I think the better. Um, at the same time, you know, that, that's sort of like how the thing works at the same time, reliability and performance are so very important for something on the hot path for an analytics query. Um, it's one thing if your scheduled run kicks off, you know, a minute later than you thought it would, um, it's a different thing. If everyone in your org is waiting a long time for the metrics to run in in your BI tool, um, So we're trying to bake in performance and reliability from from the very start. Um, Those aren't things that we wanna try to bolt on later. They need to be part of of the initial framework for this thing.
0: Last question on metrics and server for a little bit um, before we move on. Callum wants to know, part of the power of dbt is the flexibility to define any model the way it makes sense for your business. Uh, for example, users at Sisu are different to users at dbt. If we're moving towards a semantic abstraction of users, which I love, do we maintain the same flexibility or do we standardize around attributes of these semantic objects? I love this question. Um, Abhi and I spend a lot of time uh, jamming on this in blog posts and podcasts, uh, and and I'm sure as have others. Uh, but what, what do you both think we should be doing here?
1: Um. I don't think we could ever publish, you know, a schema and say this is what a user is. <laughs> like, conform your business to make it mm. so. Um, I think that even you know within our own organization, we have a, a few different concepts of what a user is, and, and they do mean different things, and we want to treat them separately. Um, at at much bigger organizations, that's that's only more true. I think. Um, I think the really powerful thing would be if. Uh, like I'm thinking about like interfaces and and almost like prototypes in a programming sense where, you know, if you could say something like an event log has uh, a timestamp, it has a uh, entity and like a thing that happened, you Mm -hmm. can call those columns, whatever you want, it could be all different types of events, like an order or a page view or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then if you could operate on those event logs in a sort of abstract way, like Mm -hmm. show me a cohort analysis of them, like that starts to feel really powerful, and I think we'll we'll be very interested to figure out how we can create a um, like a paradigm like that.
0: That's really cool. Um, I um, on on a personal note, having built a system like that and a table like that before, um, and the amount of work that went into doing that, would be really cool to be able to uh, to abstract things. Uh, but I, I'm totally with you,
2: like Kellum. I appreciate the question where it's like. Can't someone just sort of like prescriptively tell us what is the definition of users and be opinionated about it and you know help the industry standardize around the thing? But I think the reality of lived application is every business is going to define like a customer or a user differently or have different ways they think about them being you know active or passive or of high value or of no value. It's going to be really difficult to standardize on the, that content but it is easier to help wrangle the abstraction mm-hmm. and create the infrastructure by which you or anyone else could could define a user um, easily and make that understandable and usable in a lot of different contexts within the business.
1: You know, one thing that sticks out to me that might be interesting for, for this audience is um, the version of the sort of metrics package that we published has a built-in concept of a calendar. And this is one of those cases where like every business's calendar might be a little bit different. And for us, like it actually changed as we switched from calendar years to fiscal, uh, to a fiscal calendar. Um, so just having the ability to pin down, like this is the calendar and then you can put whatever you want in there. feels like such a helpful starting point. Like you have an entity called a user. You can do whatever you want in there kind of is, I think, um, Callum mentioned in, in this question. Um, but just being able to identify, like, this is what a user is, um, mm-hmm. this, is this is what a quarter is, is, is really helpful.
0: Is there maybe like a software engineering metaphor here um, that we can reach for? Like the way that um, Ruby allows you to define objects and then redefine them. So, like with Rails, um, when you set up um, your project for the first time, it gives you like all of those base level objects. Um, you can define how they're related to each other. Um, you can define what a user is, what, a, um, uh, and, uh, you can also redefine it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. I, I just, I think about like, like very much inheritance in like a programming mm-hmm. language sense, like there's some base entity, like a, like a user or an event, um, where it gets a little bit complicated is like, I know a lot of companies have, especially in the SaaS realm, there's like users and accounts and which one of them is a customer, one of them isn't, but it, it's variable. And, um, like, I don't think we're going to standardize that, but I think giving people good tools to, to wrangle it internally and reduce a lot of the legwork around calculating something like how many users did a thing connected to accounts on a certain plan? Like sometimes that logic is is really tricky. And I know that I was writing SQL this morning and took the shortcut, not precise version of it because it was easier to write. Um, So I don't know. I think we're all kind of lazy in the programmer sense too and good tooling helps there.
0: All right. Um, Let's move on to um, uh, internal company stuff for a little bit. Um, Taylor Murphy wants to know and says, maybe this is too internally focused, but because there's someone who's doing product, they're really curious. What are the process tooling culture improvements? Y'all hope this leadership change will bring to the dbt labs product org (laughs) insert chili emoji here. Um, Who hopes? Drew hopes, or I hope. Um, (laughs) Or
2: or, or, you know, uh, you both hope. Um, There's there's a bunch of stuff that we will probably, you know, every, every business evolves over time, and DBT has had to pack a lot of evolution into a really short period of time. So it's you know we've crawled up on land, but we're like missing half a leg kind of you know situations in, in a lot of places because that um the amount of user adoption community interest has been so high it's been really high so even thinking about things like you know the the round we recently took it's basically to enable us to provide um you know the services and the products that everybody wants at the level of quality that we will find you know satisfactory satisfactory and you know commercially remunerative um and so there's a lot of work to be done there there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done there but here's an example of an internal process that we spent a lot of time on this morning it was how are we going to accept bug reports from different sources and then provide like transparent and deterministic answers around whether we'll fix them at all much you know even much less when. So, there is an example of a process improvement or change. Um, another has been we've been engaged in a really big um, product team build out. We had like Drew <laughs> for a long time. And then we had sort of Drew plus a small team. And, you know, only now, and I, I think um, with the hiring of like, you know, five new people in the past month. Am I beginning to feel like we even have a staffed enough team to respond to everything that the community and our users and our customers are bringing to us? Like, okay, now we can pause a little bit and lay in more of the design and engineering talent that we need to to build the things that people want. So we've quite a lot of growing, quite a lot of work to do in terms of our processes and our our build out of our own org to, to service the needs. I don't and in know fact, if you about that true. <laughs> but no,
1: I mean it, it's on the money. It just um we were 17 people two years ago, <laughs> like a lot changed very quickly. And, um, I kind of touched on this earlier, like about two years ago, the way that I found out about bugs was I hung out in the DVT Slack and saw people write about them <laughs> and then like went and talked to someone and we fixed it. Um, but at 60 plus engineers and, um, a lot more product managers on the team than we had you know, three months ago. Um, Suddenly the process and coordination there gets a lot more important. And this is a place where, Margaret, your expertise is just like so very valuable and welcome. And it's definitely not the area that I that I go deepest in.
2: Yeah, it's kind of unglamorous, but um it's it's th- there's there's some processes that that like some automation, some tooling, some predictability will actually just make us better at what we do. But it can feel dehumanizing when you're used to talking to a human being in a Slack and having them take it seriously and put it in a queue and get back to you personally. Um, But now we're at this point where like 92 people have actually reported the same bug. And I need to, you know, we need to have a process where Drew doesn't have to message 92 people. We can actually send them a Slack follow-up or an email or something that is like, hey, we closed your thing that you reported about. We took it seriously. Um, Sorry, it took a month, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's also important to point out that um, one of the most exciting things for me has been like observing Margaret in action is how you're able to rally the right humans across the organization and collaborate with them on some of these solutions. You just kind of walk into a room like, yeah, okay, we need this person. We need this person. We need someone from here and let's all get together and figure this out. And um, so I I don't know how much of that comes through to folks um, as they, as they observe us working from the outside. But um, it, it's been really fun watching the company collaborate on improving some of these things internally. And it's really, um, that collaboration and that approach is super key. So thanks for facilitating we're that. we trying,
2: we're all trying. Um, <laughs> there, will, there won't be like bumps. Going from like a one-to-one interacting with mm-hmm. each other black model is even different than something like this Crowdcast where like, now we have to, like, schmear the Drew, you know, across, like 50
0: <laughs> <questions>. <laughs> you know, um, you feel like another spicy question? Spicy. Tony wants to know what the relationship with Snowflake and dbt Labs is and how that benefits the company.
2: Want to start that one, Drew?
1: Yeah. Um- I'm trying to think about when we first integrated DBT with Snowflake. I bet it was like 2018. And it was a pretty similar story for for all of the data warehouses we integrated with. Like definitely Redshift, definitely BigQuery, definitely Databricks. Where our first integration, we just had to kind of figure it out. Like how could DBT work on Snowflake? And so I remember when we went to integrate Snowflake, Um, we tried to take the sort of redshift approach to materializing models, do that on snowflake, but we found out like transactions don't really work the same way on, on snowflake as they do on redshift. And that's not really viable, but then we kind of learned about new paradigms. Like there's a creator replace table construct on snowflake, and there's a merge statement for atomic upserts. And so it was all this stuff that we just kind of had to like trawl through the docs and learn everything about snowflake in order to build a really good integration and like i do want to make sure to say that we didn't learn all those things ourselves like a lot of them came through issues in in github or uh people writing it on dbt slack pointing out that there are better ways to do these things um the thing that's so different these days is with this more formal partnership with snowflake we actually do have a a really great line into their team um as we do with a, a bunch of the other data warehouse vendors that that are popular with dbt um and so if we ever have questions or issues then we can kind of go directly to you know the product management team or, or sort of get things prioritized on their end um, and really tighten the feedback loop between you know identifying an opportunity for improvement and then actually making the thing better.
0: Uh, Taylor Murphy is adding in the chat. Um, the real question is, does Drew have a sleep and cell number? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll leave that one um, to uh, as a blank that folks can fill in themselves um okay margaret uh lauren is curious if there was any one conversation you had with drew tristan or connor early on that made you say holy smokes i want to be a part of that Uh,
2: there were there were a bunch um I think that the the theme and those conversations that was really true for me was the empathy that the, the founding team had for the work that people are trying to get done every day and an attention to caring about how it works. So you, you meet a lot of people in the kind of like, you know, B2B enterprise software business who are like, I am here because there is money. like there's gold and them thar hills and this is like a lucrative place to be. And we're just going to, you know, Silicon Valley asshole our way into, you know, material wealth. And that is like completely not the right aesthetic to build a good community or product from. So this consistent empathy and attention to detail and to um, excellence Overall, was really what attracted me because um, there are a million lucrative products to work on in this world that are soul killing to do so. Like, you know, if I want to go, uh, you know, I, I hate to name names, but I'll just name one because I pick on them all the fucking time. Excuse me. I hate Workday. Um, it's <laughs> a terrible product to use, it's just an awful experience. It's like a hiring manager or manager. And like, I've been in like a bunch of companies where I've had to use Workday. And it's like, you die a little bit every time, you know, you, you have to touch it. So I really wanted to be in a place where like, you know, okay, the, the attention to caring about the, the product and the product experience was foremost in everyone's mind and not the stock price or what have you, you know, that builds a lasting business. No one tell my children I did that. (laughs)
0: someone told me once that, um, the workday backend is literally just spreadsheets. I'm like, ah, that makes so much sense. It
1: reminds me. I wanted to talk about how the metrics layer works. It's actually just one Google spreadsheet, <laughs> different tabs for different, that's how we do multi-tenancy.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tom says, thank you for naming that one. I use it today and I do die a little each day. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Drew, I think we had this question come up the last time we did an AMA. So here it is again from Ethan. Hi. Oops. Any <laughs> plans to bring column level lineage to DVT?
1: Okay. This is my white whale. This is my <laughs> call me Ishmael many years ago, never mind how many. Um I I think the opportunity is there. I think it's an incredibly hard problem to do it in a cross-database way. But I think the fact that it's a hard problem is part of what makes it so valuable. Um we've we've done some prototyping, we've done some playing around internally, but you know, with with something like column level lineage and SQL parsing being 90% 90% right it means that like one in 10 of your models is not going to parse and that's not actually super useful. So the bar for correctness is like very very high and I think until we're ready to do the full complete version of it, it it's a it's a it's a big investment to to make. So we're we're going to keep like staying attuned to what other folks are doing kind of out in the ecosystem. I think that I'll keep poking around with it on, on hack days. And I know a bunch of engineers too, <clears throat> excuse me, are, are really excited about the solving that kind of problem as well. Um, but nothing, nothing concrete at this particular moment.
0: It's kind of like the self-driving car problem. Getting to 90% is not that hard. Getting to not killing pedestrians is really, really hard.
2: Kudos though someone was gonna
0: ask like i don't i don't think we're allowed to have an ama where no one asks yeah i I, I think we're required to talk about column level lineage uh, at least once yes
1: i see a question here about unit testing and refactoring let's do it and i just i always link these two problems together in my brain like i actually think <laughs> a really good version of unit testing requires um, not exactly column level lineage but the ability to like read a sql statement and kind of understand its inputs and outputs and then be able to stub those so like the version of i guess like we call it more integration testing that we do today you have to specify all of the inputs for a model and and kind of all the outputs um and and if you've got like a hundred columns creating the test cases can be pretty gnarly so actually being able to test like specific expressions kind of within the, the query and make sure that those work correctly on given inputs and outputs, um, feels to me that, and I, to be honest, have not seen the latest literature on the the subject. There might be a GitHub issue with more information, but to me, parsing SQL queries operating in the abstracts and text tree feels like the prereq for for both unit testing, each of unit testing, refactoring and column level lineage.
0: Makes sense. All right, let's see what folks got. Um, we are burning through these questions pretty quickly. Um, we have a boatload more questions about the metrics layer. If you want to take them,
2: oh, oh, definitely. But yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna throw Drew under the bus for sure. I'm, like, there's no, <laughs> uh, there's no lack of um, interest. I think from all of us in what people are looking for out of the metrics layer. And what's really, really useful and what's on their mind—the the amount of um, useful fodder that we get from the community around what is in our product roadmap—is like is a is a feature, not a bug.
0: Mm-hmm. So maybe what we can do is um, there's a bunch of more questions and Amada has highlighted them. Uh, maybe y'all can jam on them in the Slack after this. Um, and uh, instead, I want to talk a little bit more about um, something slightly more high level. What's keeping you up at night right now? Margaret and then Drew.
2: <laughs> okay, how honest an do you want, want me to put out there, Anna? Because um, there's a bunch of things that keep me up at night right now. Um, with respect to DBT and not the state of the universe, which seems more fragile than I thought it was 10 days ago. Um, right now for DBT, um, I would say that performance performance and reliability are like top of mind, top of mind, top of mind, top of mind, top of mind. Um, and that's true kind of all, all across the shop. It's not like a, a market thing or a true thing. It's a DPT thing right now. Um, that is hugely on, on top of mind for uh, top of mind, especially for like the cloud users and the cloud customers. Um, we we have grown a lot. We're at that, it's just this huge growing pain stage where like your hands are sticking out of your jacket and your shoes don't fit. And we have real like, you know, engineering work to do there. I mean, the good thing is that I feel like we're prioritizing it correctly and we're staffing it correctly. And like, it's just work, you know, like we'll get it done. Um, but it it worries me because I think that people are having suboptimal experiences right now inside the IDE. And, and that makes, gives me shame. not like that. Like I'm, I I tend to want to not be exist in that condition. So that's really, really top of mind for us right now. But that's a very short term thing. And I think we'll be like through it um, in a quarter. And then I think much more about um, how we continue to provide like a really enduring utility, really like durable. This is just part of my like process to do work. And I never even think about it anymore. Um, I'm a huge sci-fi like nerd, huge, it's bad. And um i I keep like all of my old novels, whether they're digital or physical, and every now and then I'll go back and I'll read something that I loved like five or ten or fifteen years ago. and it's all made relevant by an iPhone. Like huge plot points are just rendered completely obsolete because like now people have iPhones and like why didn't they have them then? this this whole like, thing would be moot without an iPhone. And I feel that DBT is a little bit of an iPhone for a lot of data engineers out there and a lot of analytics engineers and people who work with data. So how do we continue to make it as relevant and useful and essential? That That is like my worry bead for like product. So I don't know- You heard you it, it here first, DBT is like you? an iPhone. <laughs> What's mind for you? <laughs>
1: Um I've actually sleeping a lot better <laughs> over the past three months. <laughs> Margaret, we're so happy to have you with us, uh me especially. Um I it's been cool the the change in perspective, change in framing that has happened inside my brain in the past like really three months, going from CPO to to an IC on the team. Um
0: Can confirm drew smiling a lot more.
1: Yeah, no, I do, yeah, I smile, <laughs> yeah. Um i am thinking a lot about about the metrics player today um i would say it's keeping me up but kind of in a good way like i just can't stop noodling on it and it's one of those places where the more i think about it and the more i read about like all these interesting takes on all the great Substack articles out there um if there's anything that um i want to be really careful about it's like making sure that we scope this thing appropriately so that we can get it out the door and give it to people and like do a valuable thing and then iterate on top of that um in my head i always you know i read an article and i think oh the metrics layer should be able to do that too I kind of have to stop myself and think like okay maybe maybe v2 it'll handle that um so to, to me it's really just it's it's such a double-edged sort of how much opportunity there is in front of us for for a lot of this work. And the metrics layer is one thing. There's like a lot of other exciting stuff happening that like I'm not personally PMing, but I'm very excited about. Um, And I think it's just our ability to be focused and intentional about where we spend our energy to like, make sure that we're doing um, important stuff that matters and putting it in people's hands um, so we we can get feedback and iterate
0: on it. So what you're saying is, people should write more Substacks and have more podcasts about our product roadmap.
1: <laughs> I would sleep even less if there was more media about analytics engineering. <laughs> but I do, I do like reading them, and I actually see David um, uh, <laughs> making a joke about Substacks. Uh, David, yep. David's is great. If you're not a <laughs> subscriber, uh,
0: definitely plus one. Um, and Abby's released a podcast recently that's also really cool. Um, you can find it on his Twitter. Uh, Taylor Murphy has a good question. Um, What are plans for dbt docs? And um, to clarify, because this comes up all the time, we're talking about the um, static website you can generate from the dbt project, the dbt docs serve, um, and not docs.getdbt.com, because they sound the same. But we're talking about the product feature, um, dbt docs. It's always struck me as an awesome differentiator, is what Taylor says uh, for dbt, and that's probably hard to create an enterprise paid version for, but dbt would not be as great without it.
1: I think the first thing on the roadmap is not calling it docs. I think that's pretty confusing. <laughs> and um, <Please. laughs> no one, no one asked me like, Drew, what's your biggest regret with past six years? But calling it docs is up there. Um, yeah.
0: That's what keeps me up at night.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's stuff happening on on this front currently. I think the the pain points that we're most attuned to beyond it sort of not meaningfully changing over the over the past couple of years. Just, um, it's like a static website. And so it takes a very long time to load on the first page view. And it can be pretty sluggish if you have a really big project. Um, this connects to other feedback that we hear from folks about wanting better tools to sort of have different projects that can depend on each other. So we have packages today, but there are some challenges that, that make that a less than ideal. Um, like paradigm or workflow for actually developing on one of these downstream or upstream packages. Um, so my, my kind of ideal outcome for the the docs is one in which we could get away from powering it with a, you know, a big JSON artifact, though. It's like every node in your dbt graph um, and then, and then hopefully kind of modernize it make it a lot snappier. And um, ideally be able to kind of merge a DAG across different projects into one kind of cohesive view of the of the whole DAG lineage. Um, so there's, there's some stuff happening on, on that front. I think it's a little bit too early to talk about. But uh, we think it's due for a refresh as well.
0: I love that someone is asking a question and people are answering it in real time. It's like, oh, DVD docs already does that. That's cool. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you for asking the questions, and thanks, Simon, for. All- pointing uh, folks in that direction. Um, so we have a few minutes left, um, and I can see the chat is devolving into memeage galore, which is always, to me, a good sign of a conversation with the dbt community. So um, maybe we can shift the tone a little bit. Um, what do y'all want to know? Um, zaniest, wackiest questions, uh, throw them in the chat. Um uh in the meantime, uh Margaret, I'm gonna pick on you. Um you have a furry friend at home that is very sweet. Can you tell us about her? I I can. I didn't know where you were going with that for a minute. <laughs> <afraid> of...
2: <laughs>
1: Dramatic pause. Yeah.
2: <laughs> for work, but um, I do have a rescue guinea pig named Poppy who Weighs about a pound and a half and is the loudest person in the entire house. And she is a very indulged uh, guinea pig. She lives on like parsley and carrots and, you know, tiny bits of bell pepper. And she has a very excellent life. She's very cute.
0: She does have an excellent life. I have seen her eating very well on calls before. Yeah. Um, I wish I could support. I mean, it's succulents and a
2: guinea pig. Like, it's all I can keep alive other than the children. You know, I I got no dog, no cat. I wish I did, but um there's a good one from Will actually. What Mm -hmm. questions have we not asked that you wish we had? Mm -hmm. Um (laughs) I'm still a little bit new here, not much longer. I think I have that title for another week or so, but um you know I I want to know in some ways, how we continue to harness community energy in terms of building out the DBT roadmap. Are there are there forms and forums beyond Slack that people want? Um, I don't, I mean, the the power of having an open source project and the power of having a community is that you don't lose the authenticity and the immediacy of engaging with the people who touch your product every day. And so uh, I'm, I'm curious to know from, you know, people who are in this gathering, how do we not lose that? How do we not lose that as we scale out? Because most companies do lose a little of that when it's the bigger that they get. So h- how do we make it, how do we make it durable and persistent and
0: um, reciprocal over time? That feels like a question for me.
2: I a question. All of us, though, right? It's a cause... question
0: for all of us. It's a question for the community, but um, there there are a few things we're doing on the community team to uh, together with folks on the training team and together with um, folks on the marketing team to make uh, some of this more um, more accessible. You're gonna see. Some uh, small changes and then larger changes at in uh, docs.getwte.com as um, Leona, our docs manager, ramps up and uh, starts going to town on creating the best documentation experience um, that we could ever have. And a lot of that comes down to the kind of things that y'all contribute to. Um, a lot of DBT docs is powered by community contributions, and we want to make that easier and more powerful. And that's just one example. So um, as we scale, I'm so excited to see how we can plug more um, more humans into um, growing this this community together.
2: Well, I mean, you're gonna laugh, but we had a we had a thing that was essentially like a suggestion box. Um, Well, OK, I I think it was like a suggestion box almost in Heroku space. And what we actually did was basically have people submit feature requests and then we would go through and kind of like parse through them all and group them. And so you would get like column level lineage, column level lineage, or, you know, jobs is code, jobs is code. And like you could kind of group that up and see how that worked. And, you know, Salesforce had a site called the Idea Exchange where users would go in and they would like vote up each other's ideas. And PMs would go in and retire those stories, like when they ship product that address those needs, or they could have a discussion there, you know, with the community. Like like Anna, you you would need a small empire of humans to do that kind of thing. It's not the kind of thing you can do with the team you have now. Um, but those are both very powerful examples of of how how we continued to get intelligence um, and ideas from from our communities, even as we got bigger and more commercially successful, and we did it with pretty like that idea site was like a Drupal, it was not good. Like it didn't scale very well. It was like, it was like Drupal on steroids by the end. But, um, you know, I I think we're all open to those kinds of, how, how do we continue to communicate
0: as we scale up ideas? All right, four minutes left. Um <laughs> Uh, go to pump up song.
1: Mm, Um, I don't even know. I'm listening to a lot of Carol King right now. It's the opposite. I haven't been pumped up in four years.
0: (laughs)
2: Margaret. I'm going to deny that, because I'm pretty sure I saw a little bit of rapping going on on Tuesday night. I'm not a rapper. (laughs) Uh, But you might be a poet. Um, Pump Up Song? Is that what you're? Mm -hmm. What's yours, Anna?
0: What is mine? Um, mm, uh, Whitney Houston's uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Not bad.
2: Um, I'm in a huge uh, doja cat and childish Gambino phase right now Ooh. because that's what my eldest daughter's into and it influences my musical taste quite a bit right now. Um, Ethan, God you bring all the questions? Uh, that's a that's a, a good question. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I'm I'm naturally bubbly, so even on Carol King, I can be bubbly.
0: Can confirm. Uh, do you want to take the Delta Live Table question um, in the next like minute?
2: 100% take that question. Yeah. I do not think that any of the major data warehouse products will ever really care um, about the, the experience of working with um, multiple warehouses the way that DBT will. I don't think they will i don't think that they're focused in this 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 entire space of caring about exactly the people who are on this right now i think that's uh, uh just knowing your differentiation and knowing what you own in any market is very important there's things they do great we'll never do drew i don't know if you want to add anything to their our key differentiation there no um,
1: yeah you know dbt is totally reliant on the on the database data warehouse to to do its thing and i think that it's possible to look at something like delta live tables or a version materialized views that have less draconian restrictions or what the folks at materialize are doing or tasks and streams on snowflake like these things will evolve and it just makes the experience of using dbt even better and i think that's a, a good thing for people that use dbt
0: Okay, I'm gonna sneak in one more question because um, Amy C. highlighted this and this is a really good one. What's the future of adapters? Since that's the primary thing that you need to connect to a database, what what do, what does the adapter roadmap look like?
1: Margaret, do you want to plug? Did (laughs) someone like
2: spot the job wreck on our website or something? Um, So we need to really think about how we support um, a pretty wide field of adapters going forward. And we have pretty stringent standards for which ones we will um, commercially want to use with cloud. This is a critically important thing for us to work on this year because we are a symbiote with like, you know, all these, the the data warehouse companies. So, hey, can you use DBT in all these contexts and how good is it when you use DBT in all those contexts is like a huge focus um, uh, for us this year.
0: Um, A very big one. So go check out the job site. Thanks, Amy, for posting the link. Awesome. Uh, Thank you, Drew and Margaret. We're at time. I'm going to let you go to the many things you probably need to do next, but um, I really appreciate you hopping on with me and spending this time. There's a bunch more questions in the chat about the metrics layer that I'm sure Drew is going to be up thinking about. Uh, If you have more questions that we didn't get to, drop them in the chat and we'll make sure someone takes a look at them. Thanks, all. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.